0: Good morning. Good morning. It looks a little sparse, so I'm guessing traffic wasn't awesome. What well, not too many groans. Okay. Hey, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you're out in the foyer and you can hear me, come on in. It's time to worship. Um, hey, it's just me and Haley this morning leading you, and so our... Uh, our plan is really to actually play very little and hear you sing. You are the choir this morning. Are you with us? All right, that's about an eighth of the room that said yes. Are you ready to sing? Hey, I like it. All right, let's stand together. Let's lift our voices in praise. Whether you feel what you're singing or not this morning, do you believe it? If you believe it, sing it out because you might need to hear yourself sing it. Someone around you might need to hear it as well. Let's encourage one another as we lift our worship to our God and King. Lord, Jesus, thank you for that truth, God, that you bring us back to life, God, that when we were dead in our trespasses and our sin, you came, and you reached out, and you welcomed us in, God, I pray that all of us would turn to you, if if for the first time, or just again this morning, to receive the life that you extend, God, thank you for your presence with us, Jesus, thank you for the victory that we have in We lift all of this up in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. You may have a seat and welcome, church. I love the fact that in Christ, we are new creations in him, and that is a huge blessing. Well, my name is Peter Hammond, and this is Angie Zimmerman, my teammate. Welcome. We're on the community team, and I have a few things to announce to you this morning. Uh, One thing that has struck me is being here about a month, the relationships and the connections that that I see evident and are forming and continue to form um, in this church. It's awesome being an outside outsider getting used to this and new to this church, but um, seeing these relationships that are deep and continuing to form. Um, one gentleman said recently to me that this is the smallest big church he's been part of, and I agree. Um, and one of those ways to connect are through our community groups, but We want to announce this morning that we're starting a thing called connection groups. What are connection groups? Uh, They are groups that are designed to bring people together through shared interests and passions. They're offered um, through members of our fellowship church um, who are passionate about connecting people through what they love to do. So we have a mountain bike crew that goes out, guys who go out, um, a a golf community, and and other different activities to bring us together, and I love that because as we rub shoulders with one another, as we grow in him, and, and as we share common interests, um, the body of Christ is maturing and, and, and strengthening. So, Angie is here to tell us where to find this information. Okay. The
2: way to get the most up-to-date information about connection groups is to either go to our app. Have you downloaded the app yet? Fellowship NWA. Or you can just simply go to fellowshipbentonville.org and you don't have to scroll very far until you see Charles Greathouse's picture with his mountain biking buddies. I think Charles took you um, on your first ride in, in, in Northwest Arkansas.
1: He did. That's what brought us here. No, Really, the Lord did, but... (laughs) That's true. That that helps. That's true. But Addison is leading those now. Okay. So
2: yeah, so check out, you can go to the website and you're going to see all the updated information about groups and who is leading each group so that you can jump in and get connected. Also, if you're not into the technology or you're having trouble, we'd love to talk to you at the community booth and tell you a little bit more about connection groups. We are really excited. I'm already seeing the fruit that is coming out of these groups. At the 845 service, Mark baptized a a friend, her name is Shalim, and I have only known her for a short time, but she has quickly become so dear to me, and the really cool thing is I only met her because she showed up at the Mountain Bike Connection group and met Jennifer, who was a mutual friend. And then Shalim asked Jennifer to be a part of her baptism this morning. And they only got connected because of the Mountain Biking Connection group. So excited about what's happening and what and how more groups are going to get added to this list. So we have one more thing to announce. It's not a connection group, but what is happening next Sunday on the Rogers campus?
1: On the Rogers campus, um, we have a marriage enrichment night or afternoon. It takes place at 3.30. And we have a crew from the Rogers campus to answer any questions back at the welcome booth. Um, but, you know, we have vehicles that we get maintained. We, we have to maintain our lawn and a variety of different things. Sometimes our marriages are the last to, to put work into. And this is a great tune-up, a great opportunity to gather and um, meet and work, um, Just just strengthen your marriage. So that's Three uh, 3.30 at the Rogers campus next Sunday.
2: And so each week we're coming up here giving you um, activities, things, um, connections that you can get involved with. And the reason is because we want to help you connect with the body of Christ. We're not made to do this journey alone. So I'd like to just pray over us this morning. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, You are good. We are thankful for this church and glad to run this race with one another. We need a small group of believers where we're known, people who can challenge us, people who can encourage us others who are constantly pointing us back to you, Lord Jesus. So in the quiet, just for a moment, may we pause. A lot of us brought heavy burdens in this morning. We lay those worries and concerns down at your very capable feet, Lord Jesus. May we boldly worship you this morning with a posture of hearing from you.
3: the stillness of God's peace from our veins.
0: our need. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved you, our neighbor, as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. I want to give us a minute uh, to just make that personal this morning gonna give you a moment to just I want you to go back through that prayer just go line by line how is that personal for you this morning in what ways do you need mercy in what ways have we fallen short so I'm just going to give you a minute and let's all do that together You're my
3: hope. Since each time.
0: church. Let's believe this good news together. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever last darkness, I hope that's in the blood, This future grace that's mine today, that Jesus Christ has won, so I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands, and though Bye. Verse.
4: Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained.
5: Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. Your word tells us about your heart and your mind. Your word shows us your will and your way. Your word opens our eyes to the bigger story of life. We are so grateful that in salvation, you have caught us up in your bigger story. Thank you that you have delivered us from our small stories. And though God, thank you for the gift of worship, there's something about singing the truth of that bigger story that opens our eyes and causes us to pull it off of just the small stories of ourselves and sets it upon you and your goodness and your glory. And your goodness and glory is infinite. And so draw us into that. And even as we pray that now for ourselves, Father, we pray that your story would unfold in Israel as well. I pray right now through the battle that is being fought there that you would draw Jewish hearts and minds to their Messiah. And that you would draw Palestinian hearts and minds to the Savior. And that peace would reign. Do the same in our hearts. Reign your peace, Holy Spirit, upon our hearts and lives. We look to you and we are glad for it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Haley and Seth, thank you so much. What a sweet time of worship. And I am so, so grateful as well to our elders, uh, from time to time, periodically, our elders give us the gift of a three-week sabbatical for some rest and reflection, for some study, and uh, I've just come back from that, and I am so grateful for a leadership culture that, uh, that allows us to take that kind of time away to keep focused on uh, the things that keep us healthy for the long-haul race uh, of doing what we get to do around here. I did check in with you for the last three weeks online, and I will tell you, online church, it's a decent plan B or C, but there's no substitute for plan A of us gathering together and being together, am I right? It's so good to be with you guys. Hey, and speaking of uh, focusing on the long haul race, I I read this week that uh, the most grueling ultramarathon in the entire world was completed last week. Anybody run it? No, you did not run it because only crazy people would run something like this. And if you did, we'd have a counseling ministry for you because the race, the race is called the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race. Yes, you read the distance right. Runner's World calls it the longest certified road race and possibly the most miserable mentally. New York Times calls it the Mount Everest of ultramarathons. marathons. Why? Because runners start at 6 a.m. and they run for 18 hours, 60 miles per day, for 52 straight days, here's what's worse, around the same circled course in Queens, New York City, over and over and over again. If you ever are tempted to do it, please share that with your community group tonight and have them pray for you that you'll move on. It was started by uh, an ultra-marathoner himself, who was also an Eastern mystic. His name is Sri Chinmoy, and in 1997, he started this race because he wanted it to be for both extreme athletes and simultaneously spiritual seekers. Ironically, only six people finished this year's race. Only 58 total runners have ever finished it since 1997. Here's what's interesting. We find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3, and Paul is addressing us as though we are also long-distance runners and spiritual seekers at the same time, but this race is not like the 3,100-mile self-transcendence. In fact, my concern is that too many believers in Jesus Christ actually see the Christian life the same way you would see the 3,100-mile race. Just this long, monotonous, over and over, day after day, every day loop, around and around, hoping it will end at some point or get easier. Is that our race? I don't know. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Mickey finished off with Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, last week, which tells me we begin in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or have already become perfect. Now we have to ask, what is the this that Paul says we need to obtain? Because clearly Paul is grasping after something in this life. What is the this? And to know that, you have to go back to the previous verse, verse 11 that Mickey ended with, that says that by any means possible, I may attain, and here's the this, the resurrection from the dead. So the daily Christian life is this reaching for or this running toward a goal, and the goal is called the resurrection from the dead. And I know that may sound so far off and so otherworldly that there's no way a goal like that could actually have any day-to-day difference on your average Monday but I disagree. In fact, I think the resurrection from the dead is actually the goal that unconsciously every person, believer or not, is chasing after every Monday through Sunday. I mean, just think of the way we pursue life physically. When we get a diagnosis that threatens our health, whether it's small and chronic or large and catastrophic, the first thing we do is seek and chase after ways to eradicate that disease. Not only that physically, we even try to maintain the health that we once enjoyed. That is the very reason that I take two kinds of joint supplements every morning to try to get and resurrect my pre-arthritic condition before I have to have my knees replaced. It's a chasing after a symptom of something that I deeply want, a whole and restored. Emotionally, relationally, we chase after it by longing for an inner peace and for healthy relationships. Now, some people make that chase in healthy pathways like community and counseling, but others, it explains why people chase it in unhealthy ways like addiction and isolation. Even circumstantially, we get up every day and we, we look for ways to avoid pain and pursue Pleasure. Vocationally, tomorrow morning, we long for work that actually works and fulfills us at the same time. Listen, all of those things I just described, those are tastings of the fruit that grow from the same tree, and the tree is called the resurrection from the dead. In fact, the resurrection from the dead is simply the life that we prize. The life we prize, it's, the resurrection is not some ethereal, ghost-like, dream-like state where we will float around disembodied in heaven one day. Now put away any angelic thoughts or any ghost-like images that you might have of what your future looks like because the resurrection, according to the Bible, is the epitome of the life that we prize physically, emotionally, relationally, intellectually, and yes, Spiritually, this is the goal that we get to chase now because the resurrection is something that we can start growing into now in our present days, even though we have to wait for its fullness at the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to try to imagine this for me. Imagine this has been your story. For decades, you have been living trying to scrap out a livelihood. You have lived paycheck to paycheck. It's gotten so desperate that you have resorted to taking on new debt just to cover the old debt. You totally understand that this is a house of cards that will one day collapse, but you can see no way to fill in the hole to just keep making it through the week. It's not just exhausting to you anymore. It has become absolutely oppressive. And then one day, you get an email. It's that kind of email that you realize must be from some Nigerian prince because it seems too good to be true. But it's from a law firm telling you that you have a distant relative who has passed and left you an inheritance. As you check out the credibility of the story, you realize it's real. And your first thought is, great, I'm going to take that inheritance and I'm going to use it to fill in the hole of debt that I've been living under. That alone feels like good news. And you can imagine the debt being filled in and at least putting you back to ground zero. But you know, even if you get back to ground zero, you're going to have to get up every day and keep scrapping out a livelihood somehow. And Yet then you realize that the good news is better than you thought it doesn't just fill in the debt from the past. It's providing a large enough annuity that you can be well-sustained for all the days of your life. Now, if that didn't shock you in the goodness of it, it also comes with another clause, that in the future, that inheritance will be sizable enough to leave you and, and your descendants wealthy. In fact, it's generational wealth that is coming in the future. Does that kind of news change the way you will get up and go to work tomorrow? Yes. If it only filled in your past debt, you would still get up with anxiety of, and fearful about not digging the hole again and somehow staying out of debt and moving forward and progressing. But knowing that the, the wealth covers not just your past and sustains your presence, but gives a future that is insanely wealthy, well, you're going to wake up less anxious tomorrow. No, better than that. You're going to wake up more generous tomorrow because the news of the whole story changes your today. And that is the best of a weak sauce illustration I can come up with to describe the story of God that we have in salvation. See, the Bible, when it talks about our salvation, is a much bigger story than we often think of. It encompasses our past, our present, and our future, which is why the New Testament will somehow, sometimes describe uh, our salvation in past tense language. It'll say things like, you have, or we have been saved. And we call that past tense salvation, justification, which is exactly what Mickey taught on last week, a sense that we have been justified or made right through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. See, justification means this. There's a great exchange that's happened in our life. The Savior and all of his wealth stepped in and took on the debt of our sin onto himself, and then he deposited the wealth of his righteousness onto us. It's a great swap that has happened for every believer in Jesus Christ. But salvation is also phrased in present tense language. You'll see and read in the New Testament phrases like, and we are being saved. Knowing that it's talking about our salvation as a day-by-day experience that we're growing more into the likeness of Jesus. And then at times you'll read it as future tense language where it'll say we will be saved one day. And We call that glorification. Salvation culminates in this perfection through the resurrection. Now, the reason this is critical is not because it's theological trivia. It's not trivia. It's your story if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and leader of your lives. And when you see where your story starts in the past, thoroughly rooted and grounded in the grace of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, And when you see that your story has a future grace, which we just sang that line together, a future grace, where we will finally become all that God wanted us to be, it will change the present. We will start to grow into that image, which is what the Bible calls sanctification. In Philippians chapter 3, the chapter we're in right now, right smack in the middle, is telling the whole story. Philippians 3, 1 through 11 talked about our justification, the past that's been forgiven. Then he begins to move to this week's passage, our sanctification in Christ, talking about our present salvation. And next week, we'll look at the last paragraph, which talks about our future salvation in Christ, our glorification. The point is this, the Holy Spirit is motivating us to grow by reminding us of the privilege of the life of our past justification, the privilege of our life of our future glorification, and the power that comes now. Men and women, we stand on the reality that your past is forgiven. We stand on the promised reality that your future is secure. But because we can stand on those two realities of our our our, uh, story, in the middle, we don't stand. We don't just stand. We walk. Or to use Paul's metaphor this week, we run. And if, if you've been stumbling in your faith of sanctification in the present, If you find a besetting or habitual sin that has you snared, and you just think, this is who I am, this is just my story, and I know that it will get no better. No, no. You need to realize you must learn to stand before you can run. Go back and look again at your past justification. Treasure and cherish who he has made you as a daughter or a son in Christ. Look at your future that you will become. You will become, not just hope to become, you will become fully alive in Christ, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, intellectually. And let that empower your ability to walk in the present today. The passage continues in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, you see how Paul describes the life we prize? It's a state of being perfect. Perfect means complete. Perfect means whole. And we will one day be wholly, whole in Jesus Christ at his second coming. And at that second coming, we will physically, spiritually, relationally, intellectually, Be as he is. In other words, we will really be living our best life, the best version of ourselves. How? Well, he says, I press on to make this my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That tells us, secondly, that the life we prize is also something that has already been obtained for us by Jesus. So, this morning, when we talk about sanctification, we are not talking about striving. This is not do-gooderism, try-harderism. This is growing into who you already are because he has made it so. See, sanctification is seizing what's already been secured by Jesus. It's grasping what's already been given to us by grace. That's why I love the way the ESV uh, translates this verse. It says that we're going to make this wholeness in Christ our own. Why? Because Jesus Christ made us his own. I guess if I were to describe the resurrection in the most plain English I can, right from the text, it would be this. The resurrection is our full Complete wholeness in Christ that becomes present tense, becomes ours when He became past tense, when we became His. Our whole complete life when we became Jesus. This, men and women, is the life we prize. This is the life that's worth chasing which is why the whole verse in verse 12 says it this way. Not that I've already obtained this, or are already whole or perfect, but I press on to make it my own, telling us that this is running language. Press on. It means to pursue, to chase after something, like a runner chasing a finish line, hoping to win. The only difference is we know that our race is different. It's already been won. We don't hope it will be one. It has been one and given and secured for us. So pressing on means possessing something that's already ours. It means experiencing something we already are. It means grasping something we already received. It means enjoying something that we already have. And it means growing in to someone I already am. This is sanctification. That kind of growth. So the question I have is how does that tomorrow's reality actually start to work itself out in my today? Because if the Lord gives us breath tomorrow, we will rise tomorrow and hopefully walk out this reality. How do we do that? Paul starts to then become a spiritual director and coach us very specifically in the next passage. Verse 13 and 14. Brothers or brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you notice how Paul is saying here, first thing I need you to know, brothers and sisters, I'm not there yet. Now, we know him as the great apostle. You know what he knew himself as? Another runner alongside of us. He knew he hadn't arrived yet, that he was still running. So notice how he runs. He says, one thing I do. So in other words, there's a priority to his life's goal because he knows he's already been enlisted in a race that's bigger than himself. He lives with his ordered priorities. People who are serious as runners, they do the same, don't they? Hey, how do you know that somebody is really a runner? It can't be by the shoes that they wear, because I wear really great running shoes, and I walk to Onyx in them. So it can't be the shoes. It can't be just the t-shirt that you wear occasionally saying that you did a race, because I've kept my one for years and still wear it like it's an everyday habit. So, how do you really know that someone is a runner? They're running. Don't overcomplicate it. They're running. Runners run. You know, I have never signed up for a marathon, I have friends who have. And once they do, it changes their schedule and their priorities. Years ago, I signed up for cycling's version of a marathon. Three months out, I had to change my morning routine and even my Sunday afternoons to build up towards mileage. There was a different set of ordered priorities once you see yourself in a long-distance race. And that's what Paul says here. So how do we actually practically live with this one thing kind of priority? Well, notice that he's going to go on and get real specific with us. One thing I do, he says, I press on toward the goal, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we pursue the life that we actually prize. And we pursue the life we prize by first prizing it. By seeing growing into the likeness of Jesus, not as this burdensome task that's been laid on top of us after we've gotten all of our other work done, but no, it is, it's the actual joy and the treasure of our life. Is growing into Christ that kind of prize for you? Do you see it as an upward call of God? Because we won't run. And experience it until we see it the way God sees our growing into the resurrection. We won't experience it fully until Jesus comes at his second coming. We know that's true. But we can grow into that, taste and feast on that reality a little bit by little bit every day. And for some of us here this morning, the Christian life has become quite apathetic for you. You feel stuck inside of a race that won't end that doesn't seem to pay back any emotional or spiritual or relational dividends. And it's ground you down. You're sure still glad that you're on the team. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but right now you feel like you're wearing the uniform more than actually running the race. You need to hear that Philippians 3 is not a loud, hard, high school cross-country coach barking at you to run harder and run fast and act like you're a runner. If that's the tone of voice you hear, that is not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is calling you instead to open your eyes to the life that he has actually already given you. See life as it really is because you have lost sight of your past that has been totally forgiven. You have lost sight of your future that is secure. And as you treasure those standing anchor points, it begins to motivate you to run and move forward differently. You have been called to more than apathetic wandering. You've been called to prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we do that by seeing the finish line, seeing the goal again. Secondly, we do that by verse 13, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me, all right? We don't look back. In other words, runners don't run forward by gazing back. They run forward by focusing forward. And we know that in context, this things that are behind us, this life behind us is what Mickey taught on last week in the first part of the chapter. It's the old life of religious self-improvement. Remember, Paul gave this list of all the ways he was trying to religiously self-improve himself before God, make himself righteous. And he said, I I count all that garbage for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Now, because that religious self-improvement can't work, Paul says, we don't go back and focus on that kind of past. At the same time, we don't, turn around and focus on our past failures either. In fact, if you find yourself constantly tripping up over past shame, the solution for you is not just to see your sin, but to see your Savior carrying your sin. To quote a great old Quaker preacher, for every one look you take at your sin, Take 10 looks at your Savior, and let his grace cast your eyes forward. You've been given a new uniform. That's your identity, Vicki talked about last week, justification. You've been entered in a new race. That's this week's passage, a new sanctification. And as a result, next week we'll see we're going to hit a new finish line, a future glorification. So you can get up tomorrow and say the same thing I can say. I'm not who I was yesterday. I'm not who I will be tomorrow. And by the grace of God, I will run the race that he has before me. Third way we run. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Third, straining forward to what lies ahead. So we don't look back, but instead we gaze intently forward, straining. The word literally means leaning in, and this is race language telling us that this race metaphor actually helps us in how we see our life day to day. See, as a runner, you can see your life in one of two kinds of runners. The runner on the left, like an athlete who actually has a prize she longs for and she leans towards it, or our lovable runner on the Right? Yes, Forrest Gump. And why did Forrest run? He just felt like running. By the way, if you've seen the movie, Why Did Forrest Stop Running? I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. That is not the vision of the Christian life. Listen, we may love Forrest Gump. Who doesn't? But he stumbles and meanders his way forward. You and I may stumble, but we are not meandering. We run not just because we feel like, felt like running. And we run even when we feel tired and want to go home. We run because the Spirit of God lives within us. His grace in the past, His grace coming to the future, and His grace of power today empowers us to run and to keep moving forward. The passage ends in verse 15 and 16 this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You notice how Paul moved from I nouns to we nouns? And this helps us. First of all, it tells us what maturity really is. The mature Christian is someone who's gradually becoming who Jesus made them to be. In other words, a mature Christian is a maturing Christian. Don't come in and look for perfection. Look for people who are in the perfecting process. Maturity is simply staying in the maturing process. And I don't know where you are in the race of the Christian life, but I do know that we are blessed enough to have a normal church, which means we live in the normal family of God, which means there's a number of us who are still investigating the Christian life. You have not made Jesus the Savior and the leader of your life yet. You're still investigating this race that's you, can I speak to you directly? Keep looking at Jesus. If you are looking for perfection in his followers, oh my, we will be a disappointment. But if you look at glorious perfection in Jesus, the finish line himself, you will be inspired to give your life to him, to trust him, to exchange your sin for his righteousness by believing in the cross and in the resurrection and to join us in the race. We as a church cannot tell you you'll find a perfect group of people. You will find yourself, as you get to know us, well, there'll be way too many hypocrites here. And you'll be tempted to say, see, I knew the church was full of hypocrites. And then I would tell you, yeah, but come to my community group because I'll introduce you to not only hypocrites, but some liars. <laughs> and people who are proud and pose and posture. I mean, you'll see all kinds of people who are still in process of running. But our eyes will be set on the finish line. And the Savior in being like him is the finish line. Trusting him is the beginning of your race, justification. There's another group here who are running well and running steadily. I'm seeing some of you right now and grateful for you. To you, I would simply say, keep running. Oh, so keep running. Or the way Paul would say it in his language, hold true to the progress you've already made. We need you. Your example is so inspiring to us, and we want to join you in that race. We want to encourage your race and have you encourage our race. Keep running. That's sanctification. But I know we're a normal enough body that there's a third group here. There are people who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but they would say that they were running well, but they're quite tired right now, maybe slowed down, or maybe stopped and turned aside. And you're wondering if the race is still worth it or if God can really continue to change you. And if this is you, hear the, Paul, the Apostle Paul's words where he says, I'm not beating you down. He says, no, God is revealing this to you because the Holy Spirit has an appetite for a life that you really prize. And he wants you to embrace that life as well. And you will do that in two ways. First of all, look again at Jesus and see the grace of his forgiveness of you and your standing in him. Second, lean into Jesus because chances are the reason that you are tired is because you have been running in your own strength. You might be able to pull off religion in your own strength, but you cannot pull off resurrection in your own strength. That takes God, and he has that for you. Lean into him for his strength and his grace. See, his grace doesn't just forgive your yesterday and secure your tomorrow. It empowers your today. That's the story that we've been invited into. But if you've stopped running, the chances are you've been running solo as well, and that's the fourth piece of spiritual coaching that Paul gives us again notice the change in nouns we've moved from I to we language let us who are mature think this way let us hold true to what we have attained simply put don't run alone run together because the Christian race is a team sport we are a family of runners we run at all different paces we have all different passions but we come together to encourage one another. So living in community doesn't just make the Christian race more enjoyable. It makes it more enjoyable, but that's not the point. It makes the Christian race doable because we cannot do it as we run alone. And you know that. If you're not running well, you know that it's quite likely you've pulled away from community too. This is a picture of my buddy, Will Blanchard. Will is a member of our training center team, and his focus is on church multiplication and church planting. But Will has a personal passion, a personal hobby. He's a runner, and like I mean a, really a runner. I went to a church planting conference with him a few weeks ago, and early in the morning before the thing started, Will had already put in his miles. Will is actually an ultra-marathoner, meaning he runs 100-mile races. The first time he told me that, I looked at him and said, what? And then I said, how? His comment was three simple words. Relentless forward progress. Meaning I just put one foot in front of the other and don't stop. Well, that sounds easy. I think I'll start that in the morning. But it doesn't work like that because Will then begin to tell me there's a second principle he lives like. He never runs alone at that distance. Ultra runners run with a pacer for at least the last half of their race. In fact, Will enjoys pacing other runners most, which is what you see him doing behind this guy in the lead. He joins them at mile 50 through mile 100, and his job is to do three things. Number one, set a doable, reasonable pace Number two, make sure they are nourishing themselves consistently. And then number three, give them constant encouragement to just get to the next checkpoint. Is it me or does that sound like the church? Does that sound like my community group this Wednesday night? Yeah, we have been given a story that's most big, but it's much bigger. And God has given us everything we need to cross the finish line and become more like Jesus. You think about it. By grace and justification, he started the race for us. By grace, today in sanctification, he empowers us to keep running. And by grace, we will get home. We will cross the finish line our glorification and become like him. We're gonna close this morning's service in, I think, the most special way. Two women have recently placed their faith in Jesus Christ and joined the race. And they want to have us not only hear their words, but see their testimony through baptism. These women are running well because, well, they've had women running alongside them as pacers, people nourishing them, helping them set the pace and giving encouragement. And both of these women in that process have gotten to know each other. So Shalem and Leslie, both as new runners, have, have come to know each other and decided they wanted to be baptized on the same day together with a woman who's been pouring into their life, speaking for them. So Shalim was baptized in the first service. Yeah. <laughs> and Leslie will be baptized in the second service. This is a joy.
4: Uh, If you are a friend of Leslie's or in her community group, we invite you to come up and be a part of this special moment in her walk. I met Leslie this summer through our Discover Small Group, and we are now in community group together. And I've been so blessed to be part of this part of her spiritual journey. And she has written a few words to express the difference that Christ has made in her life. And so the words I'm getting ready to read to you are Leslie's story. Before Christ, my life was a roller coaster. When I met my husband, Doug, and became a mother, the overwhelming feeling of love I experienced changed something in me and caused me to want to be the best wife and mother I could be. I began my journey of self-discovery through therapy, books, journaling, and health and fitness, even though I still felt like something was missing, and that's when my spiritual journey began. I didn't grow up in church, and I knew very little of God and Jesus, so I just started reading the Bible and developed a hunger for God's Word. And before I knew it, I found myself in a deep, committed relationship with God. It was during my deep study of the New Testament that I found Jesus. I began to explore how my life might change if I started living out what I was learning in the Bible. My morning routine used to consist of me time, workout, and family planning, but had been quickly taken over by Jesus and Bible study. I surrendered to God's invitation to just be still and let him lead. As a result, he led me here to fellowship this January. I took the Our Faith class and joined a Discover small group, and now here I am, dedicating my life to Christ. I can confidently say, Jesus saved me, and he has been walking alongside me my entire life waiting patiently for me to come to him. I am so thankful that I finally did, and I am so grateful for his mercy.
5: Leslie, such a well-articulated story of your faith journey. I don't think there's one of us in the room who's not been encouraged by your running. It's the way it was meant to be. And it is absolutely our privilege, my privilege, to baptize you as a sister in Jesus Christ. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk and run in newness of life. Would you stand? Good news emboldens the heart, doesn't it? That's the way it was meant to be. So let's pray and thank God for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for the visible symbol that we have seen of that in baptism, of new life running side by side with you, heading towards home. And we pray right now that our faith would be emboldened to, to shut off sin, to run with courage, to become more gentle and hopeful, to love well, but to also boldly and humbly submit to your leadership. This is the race you've set before us. So we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, fellowship. Our prayer team, Judy and Phil, are right up in front of the baptistry. We would love to pray with and for you. We'll see you next week.